thinking about what your values are deeply, um, I think, is useful, or at least has been very useful for me. You know, what kind of person do I want to be? You know, why do I want to live this way? Like, what, what is my elevator talk? You know, kind of at the, at the end of my life, what were the values that I sort of tried to live by? And that was a struggle, honestly, like figuring out what, what I wanted to do. You know, it took me years to kind of come up with that. My, my guiding philosophy, my North Star, I believe healthcare is a human right. And I have spent my career and my life's work trying to realize that by providing emergency medical services in an underserved area of the United States. And furthermore, I have tried to do that by providing services that are culturally competent and are mindful of the fraught history between healthcare and the community that I serve. This is What Are You Going to Do With That? a podcast where we explore everyday folks' decisions to study the humanities as undergraduates and their pathways to fulfilling careers. I'm Scott Muir of the National Humanities Alliance, an organization dedicated to promoting the value of the humanities on campuses and in communities. One of the more obvious ways that today's students see that they can do good for the world while doing well for themselves is by becoming a doctor. Doctors undoubtedly do immeasurable good for their patients and our society but it doesn't always go as planned. The history of medicine in the United States and beyond is also fraught with countless instances of unintended harm. To prevent this, physicians need to understand systemic inequalities in our healthcare system, imagine where their patients are coming from, and adjust their communication and treatment accordingly. There is a growing body of evidence that studying the humanities helps physicians expand these crucial capacities. Humanities majors also score higher on the MCAT and gain entrance to medical school at higher rates than their peers. In this episode, we meet Tom Grosside, who shares how studying the humanities motivated and prepared him to serve members of the Navajo and Hopi tribes in the emergency room of Tuba City Regional Hospital. Let's return to his story now. So tell me about your program of study at Wesleyan. It was this interdisciplinary thing called the College of Social Studies. You know, you, you basically study, um, you know, you work with very small groups, uh, you know, sort of in a, in a seminar format um, to produce written work every week. Um, and you sort of rotate through um, economics, history, uh, government, and philosophy. And you, you sort of seek to find connections between those those disciplines within kind of the, the Western intellectual tradition. The hallmarks of that program are that you work in very small groups. You're sort of capped um, at, at groups of nine, seminars of nine. And it's, it's you and nine people that you stay with sort of longitudinally, um, you know, kind of reacting to reading that you've done for the week and producing written work um, surrounding that reading and, and working in kind of a, a collegial social environment with your professors. Um, and I loved that it was small classes. And I think one of the things, one of the things that certainly distinguishes the humanities, um, you know, in terms of kind of 
the way that professors interact with students is that they know there's no ulterior motive. If you're taking religious studies, it's, it's because you want to. I think professors really want to invest in their growth, um, you know, sort of across, across all domains of their academic life. Tell me about how you chose to, to study that. Well, I wanted something um, that was intense, and this had a, a reputation for being intense. And I, I really liked um, the way that it had kind of been sort of tailored to look for connections between disciplines. And, uh, and I, I loved that it was very focused on reading primary works. So I, I think what I liked about it was that I, I had to read things, and I had to read things that were, that were really hard, um, and I had to, I had to think about them and, and, and try to sort of grapple with what they meant. And, you know, sort of as a, as a college sophomore, you know, with all sorts of other kind of social distractions, um, and all kinds of other stressors in my life, you know, had to, had to spend a lot of hours every week, um, you know, kind of writing, um, about those things so that I could, you know, I could submit this paper that was due at, at, you know, 2 PM every Friday. And, um, I don't know. I guess I really liked that because it, in a lot of ways, it, it, it taught me discipline. And that was something that I was sort of more globally trying to get out of my studies was, was learning how to manage my time more efficiently and, and learning how to do sort of hard things and, you know, kind of engage with really, really big ideas. And I think ultimately that's, that's one of the things that I kind of got out of it was these things that are, that are kind of canonical or sort of canonical for a reason. You know, these are, these are people who had really, really big ideas. You're kind of like, oh my God, this is, this is, I, I never could have thought of this, you know, kind of grappling with, with, with really big ideas that are, that are kind of bigger than myself. I totally got a ton out of it. Let's say you're, you're, you're 22, 23 years old and you've, you've just graduated from college and, you know, you, you got to work. Like, you know, you got to make a living somehow. Um, and, you know, sort of you have a degree in social studies or history or, you know, romance languages and literatures or, you know, whatever, religious studies, um, whatever it is. Um, and you know, you're, you're living somewhere, you know, maybe you're at home and, and you have to get a job and, and ultimately you just sort of have to pick something. So what, what happened with me is I, you know, I graduated from college and I moved, moved back to New York and, you know, this was in August of 2001 and I, I got to New York, um, on August 18th of 2001 and, and I, with no idea of what I was going to do, I had, I had saved up a little bit of money. I, I would look at these job postings and I, I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do. You know, I started applying for jobs at auction houses, you know, cause I thought it would be like kind of fun to learn about that. You know, so I started applying for these jobs. Um, and I, you know, had gotten sort of my first bite back from one of those places and then 9-11 happened. And all of those jobs just disappeared. And then what happened was that uh, another a friend's mother was a the head of HIV services at Bellevue Hospital, the big public hospital flagship in New York, um, and they were looking for case managers um, with bachelor's degrees. And so I, I, you know, kind of 
just because I had a bachelor's degree, I qualified for this job. And I ended up working with um, mentally ill substance using men living with HIV in the Bronx. And that kind of turned me onto medicine in a lot of ways. That, that was sort of the first time that I had seen physicians working. Because um, my, my entire job was to help these, these men who were um, pretty disorganized, um, uh, you know, and had a lot of trouble interacting with the healthcare infrastructure. The whole reason that I existed was because they got hospitalized a lot. And if, if there could be someone who could sort of help them navigate the housing bureaucracy and the healthcare infrastructure, it would help keep them out of the hospital and consequently lower costs. And that's how I, I got really interested in medicine and started thinking about medicine more seriously. Okay, so I had, you know, as I had studied social studies and I was working I'm in HIV case management in New York. And I, you know, I kind of decided I wanted to be a doctor. And so I started researching, like, how do you do that if you have not taken the courses to get into medical school? And I sort of discovered that there were a couple of programs um, that sort of let you rip off all of the, uh, all of the, all of the prerequisite courses, like a Band-Aid, you know, sort of let you do them very quickly in rapid succession. And so I applied for this course at Bryn Mawr College um, outside of Philadelphia, where you could do, you know, and sort of, what was it? So it was 16 months, you could, you could do all of your pre-medical requirements. Um, and then, you know, so I did that. And um, after you do those, you know, there, there are a couple of opportunities that a number of those programs have to link to medical school so that you don't have to take the MCAT. Um, but I, I sort of elected not to do one of those. And then I went to medical school at the University of Pittsburgh, which is kind of, uh, you know, sort of as someone with a humanities background was, was kind of an interesting choice um, because it's a very research heavy medical school. And so that was interesting. I really enjoyed my medical education, to be honest. Um, and then I decided I wanted to do emergency medicine and, you know, kind of the things that I liked about emergency medicine where that it's, it's sort of the only sphere in our very messed up healthcare system where you have to see all comers. Um, you know, the thing that I like about emergency medicine is that you are, you are sort of statutorily um, prohibited from turning anyone away. I really, you know, sort of fell in love with the idea of emergency medicine as kind of America's safety net providers, um, you know, sort of as problematic as that is. But that's sort of what what kind of motivated me to go into emergency medicine and, and kind of what I saw my role as. Um, and so I ended up um, doing residency at the University of Pennsylvania. And, um, but they've had this thing called a, a memorandum of agreement with this, this hospital on the Navajo reservation for, for years and years and years. And I, um, I rotated there, you know, sort of as an elective, my third year of residency. And that, that was kind of it. Like after I rotated there, I kind of knew there was no place else I wanted to work. You know, also kind of as I had progressed in my career and gotten better and better at emergency medicine, the, the medicine stopped being hard. You know, I know what to do for a gunshot wound. It's, it's algorithmic in a lot of ways. You know, working in rural emergency medicine makes you sort of MacGyver things that you would not have to MacGyver if you were working in West Philadelphia, like, 
like, you know, if you're, if you're in a place like the University of Pennsylvania and you want a pinky finger surgeon at three in the morning, you call the pinky finger surgery fellow at three in the morning and, and they sort of like descend on the elevator from, you know, wherever. Um, but when you're working in a really, a really rural spot and sort of within a public healthcare infrastructure where you don't have a lot of those resources, like, you know, sort of at three in the morning, like, you know, you the man or you the woman, like it's you. Um, and, and whether or not this person is going to survive a three hour helicopter ride to a tertiary care facility in Phoenix is, is really sort of incumbent upon what you do. Um, and that was a totally different way of thinking about medicine and one that sort of held my interest over the years. I love my patients on the reservation. I adore my patients on the reservation. I find it to be an endlessly interesting place. I love working on the reservation. Tuba City Regional Healthcare Corporation serves both, you know, members of both the Navajo and Hopi tribes. And I will sort of predicate all of this by saying that, that you know, that is not my home. I, I've been there for now a little over six years. And these are cultures that I will never understand. I, I only speak a little bit like a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of the Navajo language. I, um, I am a guest. Um, I am hired to sort of be a, you know, mercenary in a lot of ways and to, to work there. Um, but I, I try to be as culturally competent as I can. And um, I think for me, what that has meant is that I listen very carefully and I choose my words very carefully. And I, I, try my very best to pay attention to people's concerns and to be very mindful that they come from a cultural tradition that is deeply different from my own. Um, you know, these are cultures that are very tied to the land and to movement. You know, historically, the Hopi have lived in villages, knowing that traditionally Navajo live in sort of very, very disparate small communities because traditionally they've been herders. Um, is very important and listening um, more than I speak uh, is, is really kind of ultimately the most valuable lesson I got out of studying the humanities. And I think anytime you study the humanities, you, um, you know, you, you begin to approach that, whether you're studying language, whether you're studying dance, um, you know, whatever you're studying, because it, it's, you know, somewhat rooted in sort of, the human tradition and kind of pain and, and kind of how people express that and how they grapple with the world. Um, I, I, I think you, you come to kind of a, a deeper understanding of that than you would sort of in the absence of studying the humanities. And sort of the hard skills that it gave me was, was you know, were in terms of being, um, I think, very thoughtful about the consequences of things. Um, you know, especially kind of working on an Indian reservation, everything that happens, you know, every sort of mandate we get from the federal government, um, thinking, you know, hopefully deeply, um, but also, you know, practically given what I do for a living, like how does this fit into the history of colonialism and its consequences? And how, um, you know, if I'm interacting with, you know, sort of a 25 year old 
native gentleman who is in the emergency department for an alcohol-related complaint at three in the morning. Um, how do I have a conversation about dangerous behaviors without, you know, sort of recreating the violence of colonialism? Um, and I think sort of is, is rooted in, um, in my study of American history and, and even being cognizant to kind of think about those things. And I, I, I think that's probably the hardest skill that it's given me over the years, kind of looking for intersectionality everywhere and thinking about how every action that I have, especially because, you know, like I'm, I'm a physician, I'm in a very, very powerful position in the way that people interact with the healthcare infrastructure um, can, be, can be really traumatic. And I think that's, that's really traumatic for a lot of communities in the United States. And I think healthcare in America has a, has a very sort of fraught history. I mean, you know, thinking about like, you know, syphilis in Tuskegee and thinking about blankets with smallpox and, you know, and knowing that, that the Indian Health Service you know, grew out of the Department of War, um, you know, being thoughtful about those things always, it is, it is like fascinating you know, thinking about the history of the Navajo Long Walk and the boarding schools and all of these areas of Western American history that, that you just never know about and really seeing their interplay in the way that they affect the people who come into the emergency department. Like a third of my patients don't have running water and a third of my patients don't have electricity. And, um, and sort of learning about why that is. Um, you know, like the area that I work is in is very close to an area of, um, you know, something called the Bennett Freeze. There was a, a Navajo and Hopi land dispute, um, I believe from the late 50s or early 60s. And the BIA's response was to not allow the improvement of any structure within the, you know, sort of um, disputed area until the tribes came to a settlement. Um, and then it took them 50 years to come to a settlement. And so none of the structures within that enormous area or improved at all in 50 years. Um, um, and it, it really, it changes the way that, it changes the way that emergency medicine works. A lot of my patients can't keep insulin refrigerated at home. I see a high burden of diarrheal illnesses because a lot of people use outhouses. Um, and I don't know, that's, really held my interest for years. Everything that you do there is pregnant with colonialism and its consequences. And I love thinking about that. And that's, um, that is directly related to my humanities education. I think a lot of people have leaned away from studying the humanities in part because they think that this major on their resume is like going to predetermine their path. It's just not true, right? That's just not true. Yeah, that's just categorically untrue. I, I don't think it excludes you from the job market, um, you know, sort of by any stretch of the imagination. You know, people would see kind of the things that I studied and the things that I did, and they'd be like, oh, huh, like, that's really interesting. I think in a lot of ways, kind of having the humanities line on your, your resume gets you in the door a lot of the time. Um, and it, it, it does give you really hard skills. Number one, how to write um, and how to be comfortable sort of with the written word and with speaking. Well, yeah, and there's a lot of data that's been coming out recently in the last few years 
that suggests humanities majors score higher on the MCAT. They get into med school at a higher rate than biology majors do. They do really well in med school. They do really well as doctors. I, that I believe. I mean, I believe medicine is certainly one of those areas that is very, um, very receptive to people who have studied the humanities. Um, you know, I think medical schools really like that. In fact, they love people who have studied languages. They love people who have studied sociology. You know, my friend Rachel, you know, who's the head of inpatient HIV services at Mount Sinai, she studied French. And, you know, I, I, I think if that is a viable path for you, it's a great path. <laughs>